Consumer demand is unpredictable, and Alloy is helping their customers overcome that obstacle through retail data and analytics, as well as intelligent demand forecasting like no one else in supply chain. If you missed my conversation last week with Joel, CEO of Alloy, you can find it over at letstalksupplychain.com. Under podcasts, you're looking for episode 112 or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community. New in innovations and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. I am very excited about partnering with IANA again this year for Intermodal Expo 2020. Last year, I interviewed attendees and exhibitors about why they attend this event each year. I'd like to play a clip from my podcast booth that was on the show floor last year. I want to ask you, why did you want to exhibit at Expo? What value has it brought to your business? So it's extremely valuable. We, as I said earlier, you know, we're focused from a growth perspective in this space. There's a lot of opportunity, both from our perspective and our customers' perspective. So this really provides us an informal environment to sit and understand our customers, where they're at today, what their challenges are, how are we supporting them, and what we can do going forward to better support them. And that's just a small portion of what you can expect at Expo. Non-IANA members can receive an exclusive discount. Use promo code LTSC2020 at checkout. I hope to see you there. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. I think that with COVID-19 and the coronavirus, it's definitely making us take a step back and think about our supply chains in a whole new way, plus how we can be more prepared the next time something like this hits. One of the ways we are doing that is by partnering with the Procurement Foundry and offering virtual conferences and virtual panel discussions in front of your targeted audiences. We actually have a conference coming up, so if you are interested in hearing more, reach out to me on LinkedIn. You can find me under Sarah Barnes Humphrey. Today, Today is an exciting day here at Let's Talk Supply Chain. Andrew Johnson, our newest member of the Trade Squad team and entrepreneur extraordinaire, is here with us to talk about his company, ShelfAware, and why his new YouTube show is catching on. But first, let's get to the question of the week. So this week, we asked you, what are your tips for working remotely? I mean, there's everybody's working remotely now. Some people are used to it. Some people have been thrown into it. And so we wanted to know what your tips are. What have you found that has been working for you? John Hansis says, help me caffeine. You're my only hope. That was a gift that he posted over on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page. And that's what he says is his first and foremost, especially with two kids in the house. Chris from Right Size Inventory, define set hours for work and stick to it. Take a five minute break at the top of each hour to do some push-ups, squats, or sit-ups, then get straight back to work. Jammin says, have a strategy plan structure for your day. 
I also got a tip recently that revolutionized my mindset, and that is set five simple things you will accomplish for that given day. Chris Ruddick, communicate early and often with customers, with your team. It's too easy to go on autopilot when working remote. Good communication keeps everyone in the loop. Tammy Kent says, put on pants with a button and zipper. Wow, that's a really great point. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've definitely had a lot more sweats in the laundry lately. Jonathan M. Townsley, make sure you get out and move around every hour. Marianne Ross, get up, get dressed, keep normal working hours, take your normal break times and go outside. Laura Lee Jin says, Spotify is my new best friend. Dominin, Donovan Ramage says, do not overthink everything. Well, that is such amazing advice. I love hearing all of your answers and taking part in the great conversation that these questions evoke. Thank you to everyone who participated this week and make sure to check out the question of the week every Every single Wednesday morning on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. So let's get back to today. Shelfaware is Andrew's company that we are highlighting today. They are providing wireless technology to your inventory. Well, what does that mean? Well, Andrew is here to give us a scoop, but before he does, let's get to know a little bit more about him and his journey. Andrew Johnson is an entrepreneur, inventor, and business owner, formerly the sales manager at the family distribution company O-Ring sales and service. He is now pursuing a new endeavor, a tech startup called ShelfAware, which is attempting to redefine industrial distribution by leveraging RFID technology, the internet, and the power of data. He is also lucky to work with his three equally talented and passionate brothers. So welcome to the show, Andrew. Hello, hello. Happy to be here. Very excited. Yeah, I'm so glad that you agreed to come on the show to tell your story because this is not something we talk about a lot, but it is an important component of the supply chain and even the customer experience, which is becoming even more important to not only businesses, but supply chains. Plus, I am so excited that you joined the Let's Talk Supply Chain family recently by producing your own show, and we will get to that much later in this interview, but let's get started. So tell us, what is the story behind ShelfAware? How and when did you come up with the name and the solution? All right, so ShelfAware was really a solution that we invented out of a desire to scale our family distribution business. And we didn't want to open a new branch location, but we were running, you know, like you said, customer first uh, value added service offerings. Uh, Sometimes they're called VMIs for short, but we call them vendor managed inventories. It's been a growing trend in the distribution space for a long, long time. And, um, we just had people everywhere driving in trucks, monitoring these inventories where we were using barcode scanners. And we thought this is ludicrous. So sometime around 2015, uh, we came up with this idea to use some technology to track park consumption as opposed to people in trucks or barcode scanners. So we deployed our first beta test, field test in 2016. But the story of how we came up with the whole idea really starts in 2012. And that was when Again, in my fall, like small family business, my, and this is nuts, I have, I have three sisters, no brothers. So brother-in-laws all work at the company. So me and my three wow. brother-in-laws, right, crazy family dynamic. That could be a whole podcast right there, just surviving <laughs> family dynamics. Oh, and uh, I have a lot to share on that. Too. <laughs> no, we, we need to meet up again about that one. Uh, 
So anyway, the, the four brothers, the four bros, um, in 2012, we implemented a new ERP system in my my family business. And it was like all ERP implementations, a huge, huge undertaking, potentially a nightmare if you don't do it well. Um, but we had some great advice from a former employee that said, like, get your hands dirty, do your own data work, do your own data processing, your own data tables and your own data conversion. Your data, your company's data is the most important thing you have. Yes. And so, yeah, in 2012, we took that to heart and my oldest brother started, uh, well, basically programming in a real basic sense. So he started writing SQL code and helped with this ERP transition. And it was that that really big pivotal moment where all of us boys learned that the data drives our whole company and that behind that data is the power for us to grow and scale and excel and drive value into our customers. So that was in 2012 when we started writing software. And then we had a set of inventions, smart devices, IoT type devices from 2012 to 2015 that kind of led up to Shelf Aware, which is an external innovation where we decided to take our inventive and innovative spirit and drive value into customers' locations outside of our four walls. So that was launched in 16, and then it's just been a crazy ride since then. I'm, I'm now uh, running it by myself, an independent company. We've spun Shelfware off as its own third-party software-as-a-service supply chain company. So my three brothers are still running the mothership. Awesome. I love that. And I, you know, it's such a great way to, you know, talk about the story, right? Talk about how you guys got started in 2012 and sort of that progression. You know, you you start somewhere and then you grow and pivot and change throughout yeah. The, yeah. the journey, right? And right. it's such an important component to really let listeners know because, you know, a lot of times we don't talk about that part of the journey. Right. We don't. And I do a lot of speaking engagements now where I share that story as an inspiring story and also an educational opportunity to tell other small business owners and other people in, in big businesses, how do you innovate? And yeah. really all innovation, like almost all of it is incremental. It's a, a good idea that morphs and evolves into other great ideas on top of good ideas that become something valuable. And that was us. It was that long journey to, to get to something that we could put in front of customers to drive value into their organization. Absolutely. So then let's get to the core of it. What exactly do you do? I mean, we're going to go over an example a little bit later, but I just want to know exactly what Shelfaware does. Okay. So Shelfaware, um, well, the name Shelfaware, we just wanted to be, as a distributor, we wanted to be aware of what was on our customer shelves. And we wanted to do that remotely. So at its core, at its essence, Shelfware is really, really simple. And I think all great ideas are fairly simple. We took inexpensive passive RFID tags and embedded them in our product labels that we were shipping to customers. And then we installed a small RFID scanner at the consumer's location and we tracked their consumption. So when they walk away from the shelves with any product, a bag or box, a crate or tote, and it can be 20, 30 different items. They can walk away with them in a big tote. Our hardware tracks that movement of product off their shelf. So as a supplier, we know in real time instantaneously that they just walked away with five of this, 10 of that, 30 of this, 50 of that, 100 of this. And we use that data, that consumption data, to just drive replenishment. Like literally as they're picking, we're picking in our warehouse to replenish them. 
Wow, so. that's amazing. And, you know, it kind of leads me to my next question because I don't hear a lot of people actually using that kind of momentum mm -hmm. to drive replenishment. And I think, you know, replenishment is really where one of the biggest gaps is in mm -hmm. warehousing and distribution um, and being able to restock. And it, like I said at the beginning of this interview, it correlates to that customer experience. Right. Right. Because you want to have what they are looking for and what they've purchased, if it's online or, or what have you, you want to have that in stock. Right. And you want to know that your partners down the line have got your back and knows when the shelf is empty and they're already putting things in place and moving exactly. that product to your location so right. you can focus on that customer. So then why do you think RFID is so underutilized in the warehousing environment? Well, it's, it's a combination of things, but, but basically RFID, it's been around a long time. It's, it's an old technology and I, I'm relatively new to supply chain, but even I'd heard of the crazy Walmart RFID supply chain disaster that was, oh, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 years ago now, where, where Walmart tried to make their supply chain, their supply base, uh, equip outbound packages or shipments with RFID tags. And it just, it failed miserably. What's changed since then? It's pretty simple. The RFID technology has gotten really cheap and it's gotten very effective, uh, accurate. And so the, the intelligent packaging that we use, it's inexpensive. I mean, if I can track a bag of nitrile O-rings, so little tiny black and round rubber O-rings that cost fractions of a penny, if I can track those, then you can track any product with, with a passive RFID tags. Um, they're down to pennies a tag now, and you can imprint and encode them with a very inexpensive um, and I don't want to throw too many brands out there, but just a very expensive label printer like Zebra. You can go to Zebra, get a label printer. that You, you might already have it, actually, in your warehouse. You can make that RFID capable for less than a thousand bucks, and you can print and encode RFID tags on the fly anywhere in the world. Um, and they not only print and encode the tag with the data, but it also cross-checks to make sure that the tag's correct, that it's been encoded properly. So all those things combined, just cheap, in effect, and it's very effective, very accurate. You put all that together and, and you can deploy a system on, I hate to call them commodities, but some of the products we sell are, are fairly commoditized. You can deploy a real-time data capture RFID live system on relatively commoditized supply chains. Well, and think about the efficiencies that you get back into your day-to-day -day operations. Oh I mean, gosh. you know, yeah. I mean, some of the warehouses are still working manually and it's going from human being to human being, you know, right. I picked this order, I right. send it into the office, the office right. then updates the computer, then, you know, we take a look at what we're predicting that we need and then that goes to the warehouse to right. run the stock or even to the sourcing and procurement people to buy the additional product to send over so that you don't have that gap. Yeah, our, our, our first... I mean, when we set out to do this, it was pretty simple. We just, we had one goal originally, and that was to get the, the person out of the truck and back in the office, our person that we were sending on site. We just wanted them back. So we had a single selfish goal. We deployed this system just to do that and then started capturing all these data points and realized, oh my gosh, like now we, we, we not only, we're definitely not going to stock them out ever. And we're going to make their jobs on the consumer's location so much easier because there's a couple things. 
number one, when they pick and pull parts, they don't have to drop a Kanban card or um, use a barcode scanner or record anything with a clipboard. They just grab what they need to walk away. So right there, we win the trust and the love and the affection of the blue collar folks that are just, they're there to do one thing and that is to make something, make it accurately, make it quickly. So if they're building a pump or a motor, that's what they're graded on. They don't want to waste time. The way they see it is wasting time documenting yeah. their, their consumption. So they just want to grab what they need to go back to work. Yeah. So well, and you're reducing the amount of steps, right? Right. Like just, just grab purely, it and walk away. Walk purely away. the amount of steps that somebody is, is going through to pick an order. Right. Um, and then you're the other thing, the other, oh yeah. They, and, and they're super ecstatic about that. But then when they learn that they will never have to do another physical inventory audit, they lose their ah. minds. Oh, wait wow. a second. We never have to count anything? No, never again. Because the supplier comes in with a handheld RFID gun and a mobile phone or mobile app, and they scan the whole inventory on a periodic basis, deliver the online inventory value report to the consumer, to the factory. And the guys in the back, the gals in the back, they don't have to stop again, stop what they're doing and count nuts and bolts and fasteners and widgets. They can just keep working. So they love it. That's amazing. And, you know, that in itself is a couple of days, mm -hmm. you know, downtime, right? Or yeah. even um, additional uh, money being paid out to those employees for overtime, because right. generally speaking, you don't want to have to close down during the week. You no. can't, you have to do it over the weekend. And so, you know, from a cost effective standpoint, from an efficiency standpoint, it sounds like everybody's going to win. Yeah. So, you know, in warehousing and distribution, we're talking a lot about AI and robotics, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Implementing the, that software. So how does this technology work together with those other technologies? And does one come before the other? So if I'm a listener, and I really like what you're doing with Shelf Aware, but I'm also looking at deploying AI or robotics in the warehouse, mm -hmm. what are my priorities? Well, I think, and this is again, my opinion, I'm out front, usually on the, the bleeding edge of things. So I could be wrong here. But the, the first, the natural pairing with shelfware is AI, because AI, which like humans depends on great data, AI pairs well with shelfware because we give them really, really good data. Hmm. So I've seen a lot of AI systems in the supply chain out there right now that have, basically it's fancy algorithms that you can apply over your ERP data. And it'll give you better insight, a little bit better visibility, and a little bit better reporting to make better decisions. But it's it's not it's not changing the data inputs, it's just simply reorganizing them, making them a little easier to look at. With Shelfware, we, we change the data inputs. We, we give you a more granular data set. I'm talking like thousands of data points a week on some of these uh, big supply chains on high mix parts. You know, these are high volume, medium volume, and super low volume stuff, stuff that might just get picked once a month or once a quarter. And we're giving you those teeny tiny data points. You can plug all those back in to the, the API, uh, through an API into an AI set, and you can get so much better reporting depth. So. so I guess also it would be a good idea to look at shelf aware and implement that before AI, or does it really, I mean, does one come before the other as a I, priority on, on somebody's desk? I, I would, I would certainly take care of her. So, I take care of shelfware first because shelfware is is simplistic. It's a mechanical, physical system. I mean, it's 
yes, it's data, but what we're really concerned about is physically assuring consumers that product will be on their shelf, that they will have yeah. no stockouts, and that they'll run really lean inventory. And we do that by really by turning the, the blue collar folks, the people in the back that, that are already picking and pulling parts, we turn them into little data nodes that collect data for you, for us, and drive that back to your supplier. So I would start with shelfware because you solve the physical problems. You assure no stockouts and over time you'll get really lean inventory. And then if you want a deeper view, uh, if you want to look at different ways you use inventory or how you could co-locate parts, maybe you look at an AI set that you overlay over the top of your ERP with shelfware. You mix those two together, I think you'll get a more powerful outcome. Interesting. And then you talked about how you guys are able to get the data and replenish stock as it's, you know, walking mm-hmm. away from the shelf. If I'm a listener looking to potentially work with Shelf Aware, do I have to have product in your warehouse? Or um, are you, are, am I able to work with Shelf Aware? Let's say I'm looking to have my supplier overseas replenish if, right. if I'm walking away with stock. You know, what does that look like? So yeah, this is where people get really confused. We we uh, when we came out with Shelfware, I mean, we did it for our own selfish ambitions. But where it sits now is it's a third-party SaaS Shelfware. We never intended for Shelfware to be a three PL or hold inventory as a middleman. Okay. We simply equip a supplier wherever that supplier's at in the world. We equip them to apply, print, and apply, and encode these RFID tags and run them through the Shelfware system to ship them to the consumer. So we're, we're nothing more than a, a third party data software solution with some hardware. So I don't touch product. I know I don't have a warehouse. It's just me and a couple of dudes in an office with a bunch of programming nerds. That's all we do. We just push <laughs> data around. So I don't, I don't want to add, cause if I touch the product, you know, then it's just, it's not, it's not efficient. It's super yeah. expensive. I want to equip suppliers that are already there in their own space in their own niche, preferably independent suppliers, you know, that can bring other um, other good things to the consumer like engineering and R&D and product research and development, all that stuff. I want to equip those guys that are already there in that space that already have the inventory, that already have the supply chains, they have the back-end supply chain knowledge, equip them to do this, to run something next level, super efficient. So, yeah. Yeah. And um, so I was going to keep this question for later, but I think it's a good time to bring it up. Like, who is your ideal client? I would I would assume that you're also looking at 3PL providers that have distribution facilities that want to hook up with their customers as well um, to be able to anticipate that replenishment from the stock that they're holding in their warehouses as well. Mm-hmm. But who, I mean, I don't know who your ideal client yeah. is. I'm just sort of right. talking off the top of my head as we're as we're speaking and you're explaining this to me i can see you know um them using it but who really is your ideal client yeah that's the crazy thing is is we're moving so fast on this and i do tend to get way far out ahead of myself that i think i know who my ideal client is and then i i go to a happy hour with somebody and they're like oh this would be great for the dental industry and like dang that's <laughs> you're right God, why didn't I think of that? Such an idiot. So <laughs> ideal client in the most simplest terms, it can go either way because because I'm a, a third party between a B2B. That's my space. It's B2B, replenishment, distribution, supply chain. So B2B supply chains. It could be a dental office that's trying to keep dental hygienist 
supplies in their supply closet and they're being supplied by a niche dental supplier. Right. Um, or it could be like my family business, which was an industrial supplier that is trying to keep parts on the shelf for a big manufacturer, which is the consumer. And here's where it gets really crazy is I can go either way. So if the consumer wants to deploy a system like Shelfware to manage all of their suppliers and then they're on an inventory, I talk with the consumer first. And the consumer, once they get to know Shelfware and get to know about it, they introduce me to their preferred suppliers. Or I can go out to the distributors of the world, the suppliers of the world, and I can start educating them on how equipping them with this tool would help them grow their business, become more efficient, distribute more product with less people. Even though I, I love people, they are usually the problem. And so we, we teach suppliers how to use systems like this to go grow their market share. So I can go either way to a supplier or to a consumer and kind of grow the platform out. Uh, and where it gets super trippy, just I don't want to lose anybody here, but, and I know you're big on, on collaboration, so you're probably going to lose your mind. It's where we're, we're really going with this is we would love, we're building a crowdsourced omni-channel. We call it cloud-sourced. That's a term we just made up. Cloud-sourced omni-channel platform where I have, let's say, two dozen, three dozen independent suppliers that cover all kinds of product verticals. So I got a packaging guy, I got a fastener guy, I got an O-ring guy, I got a metals guy, I got a plastics guy. Together, we team up on shelfware. We're all equipped. We have RFID printers. We're ready. We got software. We got nerves behind us. And we can go to the largest consumers, you know, big names. They have super complex supply chains and take care of them. And, and right now, that space is really, in our industry, is covered up by the big, big, big dudes like Fastenal, MSC, Worth, Granger. I mean, folks stayed, that are traded on the, the stock exchange, they've gotten giant. They've covered all those product verticals like janitorial, fasteners, packaging yeah. materials. They have it all, but they've gotten really so broad that they're good at everything and great at nothing. And so if I can bring independent suppliers who are great at a particular product vertical together to collaborate on a single platform, the consumer gets that omni-channel feel. They really only look at the shelfware software portal, but they get to look at all of their supply chain aggregately in the omni-channel. And it's, I mean, the blue collar folks, they don't have to use a whole bunch of different systems. It's all just walk away and forget it. So awesome. Yeah. Well, you, you are singing my song there. Oh, I know. Because you, you know, I'm all of, I mean, people probably get tired of hearing me saying it, but collaboration really is the future of business. I mean, I know with, with my own, my own tech that I'm building, you know, putting together an ecosystem of like you're talking about, you know, an omni-channel in, in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, but it's the only way forward. It's the only way that we are going to be able to be the future of business, that we're really going to be able to make things more efficient, more innovative um, for not only the end consumer, but also businesses in general. And so I think that that's a great idea. So let's go back to the core of what you're, what you're doing right now. Why don't you share a real life example? So paint me a picture of one of the customers that you're working with. What was their challenge? Um, why was Shelfaware the right solution? And what were the benefits that they saw, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's right away or, or maybe within a certain time period. Right, right. I, I, I think a lot about this, like who I would use as the example. Um, but, and I, I've used these guys a lot. They were where we are. We put our beta in at a place called Eskridge Manufacturing right here in Kansas City, where I'm based out of. 
And um, I use them a lot because, well, because we're doing all the crazy cool cutting edge stuff there. They've given us a lot of rope to hang ourselves with at times at Eskridge. And so uh, these guys are awesome. They're crazy cool innovators in and of themselves for taking a risk on us. But right now, uh, where, where it began was just us saying to Eskridge, like, look, we'll never run you out of about 200 SKUs. Those are all O-rings and seals and gaskets. And we'll put them on this platform. This is how your employees will interact with it. And we will just guarantee that we won't stock you out of parts and we'll monitor inventory levels. That's where it started. And then with Eskridge, at our very first meeting, they they came to our, our facility. And after a couple months of, of capturing this consumption data, we looked back at the whole data set and we started to play with it and manipulate it and go like, wow, we, we got a lot more here. We can we can really lean out their inventory. So we put this whole presentation together for their executives and brought them over to our uh, to our conference room and said, okay, here we go. We're gonna we're gonna lower your on-hand inventory value by 63%, yet never stock you out wow. of a single part. And they were like, oh yeah, yeah, that's that's really cool. Thanks. But and they were completely distracted because they're staring at this data set that we threw up on the projector screen. And I'm looking for them to just fall out of their chairs for the 63% reduction in on inventory value. They're like, yeah, yeah, that's cool, that's cool. But we're seeing something else in the data. Our folks aren't turning the parts. They're they're not stocking in the back and pulling from the front. Could you manipulate the data to give us a fresh report so that we can make sure their inventory stays fresh and doesn't go stale? Because they had some stuff with a lot of shelf shelf life requirements on it. And I'd never even thought about that. So here we are trying to blow them away with what we thought was really cool. And they were impressed, but what they they got lost in the data with us. And so we sat there for like another hour just talking about different ways we could use the consumption data. And pretty soon we also learned that we could take their consumption data and all these little individual parts. And based on timestamps, we can tell what their bills of material were, which kind of scared them because now we knew what was, you know, exactly what materials went into each product they they built and assembled. Right. But, uh, you know, we have lots of data security policies that prevented us, you know, from, from uh, really keeping them up at night. But what we were able to, to, to show them with the data was we could co-locate parts so they could pick and pull parts a lot faster based mm-hmm. on what we know always got pulled together. We would put that on the same shelving rack. So we moved some stuff around for them. So that was the, the genesis. Eskridge has seen all the really cool stuff we're doing. And where they're at today is they've added three other suppliers to the platform. So if you go into Eskridge today, they have they actually have three different scanning stations, different parts of their uh, facility. So it's kind of spread out, and they're tracking uh, packaging materials, fasteners, hose, fittings, seals, gaskets. It's about six hundred different SKUs provided by four different independent suppliers, and they all come in on a Thursday. They get the replenishment shipment on Thursday from all four suppliers, stock their shelves, and they're ready to go for another week. We usually run on like kind of weekly increments for replenishment. So Eskridge was was the coolest. It's kind of uh, where we're continuing to just push the boundaries of what we think is possible with the whole system. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And, but, and it's, you know, like you've collaborated and partnered on innovation mm-hmm. and that's, you know, really the name of the game, especially in the startup space. Um, And that's where, you know, big companies, traditional companies need to take a look at for innovation, right? What, what the startup thinks the, the organizations need um, might be right, but there's also some additional information that you can get from those organizations to say, Hey, we can also use this here and for this. Yeah. 
Yeah, collaboration, I think, is is the coolest thing we're doing. And it's what gets me like super excited. It's also yeah. the hard, it's the hardest part of what we're cool. doing. So, yeah. you know, it sounds cool and sexy to say independent suppliers collaborating on a cloud-based software platform. But when I approach like those first couple independent suppliers, like, you know, I take this guy to lunch that owns a, he's a, a founder and an owner of a distribution company. And I tell the dude that, Oh, I got this slick system. It's really cool. I sell them on the system. He said, great. I want to buy the system. You know, how much is the system? I said, well, it's a SaaS. What the heck's a SaaS? Okay. Well, it's a software as a service. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I got to subscribe to this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's the really cool part, buddy. We're going to work. We're going to collaborate with other suppliers on this platform. I mean, I, he got up from the table. He was ready to just walk away. Collaborate. You mean other people? I got to like work with them. Are they going to see my data? Uh, what do you do with my data? All of a sudden, he went down this rabbit hole of data security, uh, data privacy. Uh, it gets it's it's a very personal conversation to talk to a business owner or a business development person and try and basically say like we're stronger together because they immediately, in my experience, they go down this road of um, clandestine, put the walls up, keep what's theirs theirs. They don't want anybody else to know about where their customers are at or where their relationships are at. Um, so they, they see immediately all of the negatives, all the fear-based negatives that go with collaboration. And mm -hmm. those cloud them, cloud their vision of the positives. So it's, yeah. it's for me, it's always an uphill battle to get them to the precipice, to look over the edge and see how amazing the future could be, the new ground we could take if we collaborate I got to get them past their fears. That's always the hardest part, but it's the coolest part. Well, yeah, and it's it's all about perspective, right? Um, the way that we look at collaboration or as a provider, what we can provide as far as security on that data. Because right now, data is key. Mm -hmm. It's key to everybody's organizations. It's key to their future. It's key to collaboration. But it's also very personal. And we have to keep that in mind when we're talking to organization and encouraging them to collaborate is that, look, we've got your back, right? right. As, a, as a technology company that wants to work with you, we've got your back. You know, that data doesn't go to anybody else. There's uncompetitive data that we can put together for everybody's benefit, Right. Um, but your data and your organization's future is safe with us. And we've got to be able to um, to show that. To yeah, yeah. And, and for me, that's a long conversation. Like I think the sales cycle on a lot of these innovative systems is a lot longer than you ever anticipate. Yes. Because there is a huge, huge bit of education that you have to do up front. Because I've been in many boardrooms now sit in front of some pretty big, big, big names traded on the stock exchange type companies. And um, here I am, some young, upcoming whippersnapper that is, is using all these big terms. That's something else I got to be careful of, you know, just don't assume everybody knows what IoT means. Don't assume mm -hmm. everybody knows what an API is. Mm -hmm. uh, so here I am trying to, you know, make it simple, make it easy. And, and I think everybody hears that data is very, very valuable. And I obviously believe that, I mean, in my core, but people don't know why their data in particular to their company is valuable. They don't understand it in an intimate level and they're not really able to leverage it. They just know that it's valuable. 
So for me, I got to educate them about their own data, about what they have in their possession, what they need to keep private versus what they can collaborate with and right. how we try and find that happy medium and that balance. So it's like this, it's like education, data, big data 101. Every time I sit down with some executives, it's like, okay, here's what you got. Here's what you need to put aside. Here's what you need to put out as an asset that we can leverage. Yeah. And you'll have no downside, just upside. That's a great point. Really, really great point. Okay. So now I want to turn the interview and this conversation onto your brand new show. So let's talk about your new series on the SC Supply Chain TV over on YouTube. It's called From the Front Lines. And why did you use that title and what can we expect from the show? Okay, what you can expect is the unexpected. Uh, the front lines, it's just that I'm out there in the trenches. I, I always have put myself out there as a practitioner. I'm extremely authentic. You know, before we started this podcast recording, I asked you if I could curse, you know, because if it's a very clean <laughs> show, I need to be careful. I I just wear everything on my sleeve. Like uh, whatever I'm feeling that day just kind of comes out. I, I, I lack filters. I mean, all these things can sometimes be negatives, but I think for the show... It'll, it'll be a positive. It'll be an interesting, different um, look at what I feel is is happening right now. And I think it's going to be especially poignant considering this era of like, I mean, it was already fast paced change. And then you yeah. throw in a, a viral pandemic that has completely wrecked globalism. I mean, this whole idea of globalism, I think, could be teetering on the brink of disaster as we look to the future. So that's what I want to bring you. I mean, I travel a lot. I travel a lot all over the country, all over the world. I've traveled all over the world for years and years now um, with the family business and now with shelf where it's taken me everywhere. So I, I intend on just bringing you that perspective from wherever I'm at, from what I'm feeling, from what I'm seeing and trying to make sure it's it's fresh. It could be wrong. I mean, that's that's the idea of being an innovator. Sometimes you're running as fast as you can until you hit a wall. And then you just turn left or right. You don't even know which way to turn and you just start running again. So uh, that's that's what I hope to bring to the show. I got your permission to kind of go off topic sometimes. I'm going to always try and like reel it back into supply chain, but I could start ranting on the economy. I won't touch politics, but I could start ranting on travel. Um, we could talk a little culture, um, get into just different topics about family business, entrepreneurship, yeah. um, raising capital, not raising capital. I mean, we, we could get into just about any topic. So I'm, I'm super excited. I'm very thankful for the opportunity. I think uh, YouTube in general has a very, very bright future. People are going to stop watching network television and they're going to start looking for curated content on on either where they work or where they play. So if you work in the supply chain, you're not gonna, just going to turn on um, you know, MSNBC Money or CNBC or Fox Business. You're going to turn on YouTube and watch supply chain TV as opposed to, you know, something more general. So Yeah, and I think thought leadership is so important and I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm excited that we decided to collaborate on this because you're going to bring a different perspective, right? From a startup mentality, like you said there's so many different things that come along with that. Mm -hmm. Right. There's the investment side. There's the everyday challenges. There's the hiring. There's the marketing, the storytelling of your company and how you're positioning that. And that really all does tie into supply chain. 
it ties into every industry, but it ties into supply chain. I think it's important as we grow in innovation, as we grow as supply chain professionals, to really get that perspective and have empathy for a variety of different professionals doing a variety of different things within supply chain. And so I think that you're going to bring that perspective and we're going to hear a lot of really great things. And I think, you know, a lot of supply chain professionals are going to resonate with that. And plus, you know, with everything going on with this outbreak, people are looking for more information about supply chain. They want to hear from thought leaders. They want to know what supply chain is all about, what what we're going through, what we're innovating, what we're doing, how we're going to get through this the next time with our supply chain and what supply chain actually means. And so I think we're going to see an uptake in that, especially on YouTube. And I'm excited that you are part of the family. So let's look to the future. What's next for Shelf Aware? Well, what's next? Uh, I think, again, go back to this collaboration piece. We're going to continue to try and scale through collaboration. And when we collaborate, you know, like I said, we can go either way. We can go to consumers or we can go to suppliers uh, to implement this technology. And because of that, we have a lot of different directions we can go. I mentioned earlier just the idea of dabbling in dental and vision. Um, 3PLs are an area that we could dabble in. Right now, we're pretty firmly planted in industrial distribution, um, working with industrial suppliers to equip manufacturers to run complex supply chains. So for the short term, that's where I'm going to continue to try and scale it by signing up new suppliers, new consumers um, onto the platform. But then long term, we're already working with uh, some AI companies to, as we mentioned earlier, put some very strong reporting and analytical overlays on top of Shelfware, what it is today. So that's that's the future. I mean, I can't give you much more than that because uh, honestly, it changes so quickly. Yeah. But uh, there's an aspect when you're on the bleeding edge, there's an aspect of you just can't, you don't know what's next. Like when you're really truly out front, and you, you, you'll know you're really far out front when you look to your left and you look to your right and there's nobody else running with you. And then it's a really scary moment of, oh, shit, am I running in the wrong direction? Is that why nobody's with me? Or am I truly in a unique direction, in a new direction that's the right direction? I'm just ahead of the pack. And so that's what I ask myself all the time is like, we're headed this direction today, this direction tomorrow, and we're just moving as fast as we can. So I think... Um, I think we got to strike fast. The tech is also kind of a fast move because, yeah, man, with like with cloud platforms now, with like Azure and Google Cloud, you can develop stuff so quickly. So you got to stay ahead of the the other competitors by keeping. Absolutely, moving. yeah, that's a that's a great analogy. So according to some of their customers, Shelfaware is one of the most advanced in inventory control tools that they have ever used. And the example that Andrew shared with us today clearly shows that. For more information about Andrew, Shelfaware, or this episode, please visit letstalksupplychain.com forward slash episode 113 or their website, shelfawarevmi.com. Thank you, Andrew, for your contributions to Supply Chain through your new series with your innovative entrepreneurial company and for coming on the show today. No, no. Thank you, Sarah. Really appreciate the opportunity. And let's go. Let's take some new ground. 
This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. If you like this episode, be sure to check out all of our episode wherever you listen to podcasts or under podcasts at letstalksupplychain.com. Next week, we have a new Woman in Supply Chain episode. Yes, that's right. It's the beginning of May. I can't believe it's the beginning of May already, but I am super excited to introduce you to a new woman in our Woman in Supply Chain series. I am talking to Anju from Coupa, and this is my partnership with Amanda Prochaska and the team over at GWPP um, about highlighting women in procurement, women in supply chain. We're getting together. We're featuring some powerhouse women. And I cannot wait for you to meet her. So stay tuned for that next week. If you'd like to support the show, there's a few ways to do that. Follow us. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to our newsletter over at letstalksupplychain.com. Subscribe to us on YouTube at the SC Supply Chain TV. Um, as well as subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Next, go to ships.com. That's S-H-I-P-Z.com. We are about to close our exclusive group for our pilot program for our platform. If you're a freight forwarder doing air freight and ocean freight, or a mid-market shipper that is really looking for some help when it comes to pricing, please go to ships.com, that's S-H-I-P-Z.com, and sign up, and you might be a part of our pilot program. Next, if you've got a supply chain management professional in your life, purchasing, procurement, logistician, we've got the merch for you um, to celebrate them on a special occasion. Go to shop at letstalksupplychain.com. We all also have a supply chain dictionary that's 107 pages full of acronyms and definitions you need to succeed in your supply chain career. Lastly, if you'd like to be featured on the show, make sure to go and rate and review the show over on Apple Podcasts, and I will feature your review on an upcoming episode. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.